Oh, man, today kicks off. Well, Thursday did, but um, I heard the NFL basically starts today, and the Browns are playing, so let's go Browns. Okay, that's all we're going to say about that. Who? Who? I'm trying to throw you a bone from the dog pound. Anyway, um, I actually don't care about NFL as much as I do college and Jesus, so... Let me just tell you this, there's going to be a bunch of teams win today and a bunch of teams lose. I'm just hoping my fantasy football comes out ahead, that's all. Unfortunately, I had to do auto-draft on one of them. I end up with Joe Burrows as my quarterback. I'm like, it's probably a good one to have, but anyway, let's get on with this. Oh man, good to be here, good to to be back. Thank you for the grace of uh, giving me a week off last week, like last minute. Uh, We have really dear friends, um, other, other leaders, ministers in Amish country. They were once Old Order Amish. Uh, They're walking in an anointing of Jesus. And they have these crazy Airbnbs. Their Instagram thing is called the Dwell Box. It's really fun to follow. But they're getting ready to open like a resort version. And they're like, they they message us like with very little time. And they're like, hey, come hang out with us. We've not opened this one. It's about to open. But we got a few weeks before it opens. You want to come hang with our family and your family. We're like, okay, let me see if I can get somebody to preach. Let me, let me work out everything. And we, we were able to. So how many enjoyed Steve Bowen last week? So on short notice, he, um, he did that. And uh, he was going to continue the series I started the week before. <laughs> we're like, hey, we're going to start a series for one week. So then he messaged me. He's like, hey, that's just not on my heart. I feel that's your series, and I'm just going to do my own thing. You cool with that? I was like, well, I trust you, so do whatever you want. Uh, so anyway, it, it was awesome. But how many were excited to pull in today, see some dirt, big mounds of dirt? It's happening. If you remember part one of my series, it's happening. Finally, there's dirt. But I need you guys to intercede. Do you remember my uh, sermon from Church on the Lawn and the rock that we hit when we started building this building? That rock that we joke around about now and all this stuff and the rock of Jesus and on this rock we'll build our church, that rock cost us $150,000 last time. They hit rock digging that parking lot this week. And uh, so will you pray and intercede that that will not cost us $150,000 this time and we can give that back to the kingdom and and spreading the gospel and different things. Um, So anyway, awesome. Today, I again, I, I loved what I, what I said the last time. I really feel this on, on messages that I want to give, that, that it not lift me up, that it not make me famous, or, or that it puffs me up, right? But, but these things, I want it to strengthen the body. I want today's word to equip you as believers and me as a believer. I want to glorify God, and I want to point to Jesus, all right? I think in all of our sermons and all of our ministry here, we should be doing those things that, that we're equipped for the work of his ministry, that we glorify him and we point to him and we pack out heaven as much as possible, all right? Um, and I think in some of our exuberant worship, we're able to uh, make him happy and glorify him and please him and be a sweet incense to him. So um, thanks for the prayer. Let's, let's get on with it. Um, so I, I started a series two weeks ago. So if you weren't here, just, just catch up. I, I personally, it lifted me up. I felt so jacked up when I was preaching it. Afterwards, I, I, I studied it even afterwards. I, let me just tell you this. I, I'm a heart guy, okay? I'm not a theologian. I did not go to seminary. I was an atheist that got radically saved by Jesus and was raised by pastors. I was raised by pastors, became atheist, got radically saved by the real Jesus, 
in, my, in the way that I needed it. Had a great upbringing, parents were awesome. The way I was raised was awesome, but certain things happened to where my heart went a different way. Can anybody relate with me on that? I think we all have a story, right? So, so at any rate, um, you're just guinea pigs on what the Lord's ministering to me on a regular basis. So really, the Lord, I journal, I read, I, I, I spend time with the Lord, and then there's a few that are like, that might be for the whole body. So this is just one of those that like we're journeying, and as we, as we start to get the kids back to school, we started to fear some, like, some fear, some uneasiness, some anxiety start to settle in, uh, even moving into this season of, of life that we're in and the grades and the ages of our children. We have four daughters going from 16, 14, 12, and 8. Um, and so kind of a big realm of life for us right now. And we just felt this, and then the week, I think it was the night before the first set of girls started school, um, I really felt like on my heart to tell them and remind them about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God as they walk into their school, as they walk into their, their athletics, as they walk into a grocery store or, or around their friends, that we, we get to put on the entire armor of God, which means we're putting on his attributes, so that became a series because it's called Armor and Arrows, and I launched it two weeks ago, going to do part two today, and then we're going to start focusing on the arrows. Here's the thing. If you've been with us and you've been walking with us for a few years, you've heard us do this series and reference arrows a lot. A few weeks ago or several weeks ago, we talked about the arrows, the parts of the arrow, and how we're to launch, and we have purpose with the Lord, and, and he's kind of launching us to the destiny. Even he talks about in his word that, that it will be like sharpened arrows from a quiver pulled out and launched, essentially. So we, we talked about parts of arrows and generational. You know, the tip, that, that next generation going, that shaft being the middle generation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He was and is and is to come, okay? Same yesterday, today, and forever. So that shaft is like that middle generation, and, and then the, the, the mature generation, as we state it here, the mature generation is that fletching on the back, really steering, guiding, encouraging. And, and I know as we move into new things, sometimes the, what, we get fears, we get concerns, and, and they're legitimate, and they're right, and, and there's grace right now for this season, especially as we build and as we grow, and we, we transitioned some leadership last year, and even created more structure with an elder board and some other things, that you... Some of you may be sitting there, where do I belong? Where's my place? It, is there still value in me here right now? And let me just tell you, yes. Yes, no matter where you are in that arrow, that there is purpose, there is destiny, there's a calling on your life, and you are part of this. Corey spoke a couple months ago that we need you. The kingdom needs you. God needs you. And, and we need the older to lead the younger. We need the younger to be guided by the older and to desire that, to want discipleship, to, to, to hunger. You know, um, my daughter, she has a new Bible teacher this year, and, um, and he's a, from the mature generation. And uh, they were used to somebody different last year, and as they age up, sometimes there's different Bible teachers at Troy Christian. And uh, Chloe's like, yeah, this is the Bible teacher, and kind of like, kind of referencing, he's old. And I told my wife, I was like, what better person to learn the Bible from than somebody who's mature in the Lord and mature in a generation that knows their word? So, so there's this purpose. So, so anyway, sometimes there's this uncomfortability of where do I fit in? Where do I fit in this new model? Because the old works so well. So why are we doing anything new? It's working. It's because the Lord is giving us a new song continually. We're new creatures in Christ, and if we did things the same way all the time, then would we continue to reach the new generation, the new believers? The word doesn't change. 
the, the word of God does not change, all right? It's not relative to a time. It is the absolute truth of God, okay? It is the word. God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is his word. But the delivery system, the models, the methods can and are able to and are allowed to change. I, I think if we look at culture, I'll be honest, what the church had done in the past isn't reaching this generation. If you look at statistics, it's, it's not the same. They, they, I'll be honest, they're drawn to worship. They're drawn to authenticity. They're drawn to seeing that you're the same person off that pulpit as you are on that pulpit. They're sick of hypocrisy. They're sick of lies. They're sick of being let down and abandoned by our politics, by our community leadership, and by the church. And I feel it's a time that we stand and we stand up for what's right and we show them the ways of the Lord in his real nature. Nicole said, people need an encounter with Jesus and we're an avenue to that. And and let me just say, we are not going to save anybody, but Jesus does. And through us, we owe them an encounter with the living God. We owe people around us an encounter with his love, with his power, with signs and wonders and miracles and healing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So if he healed yesterday and today, will he forever? Yes. His blood, his stripes paid that price so that we can still experience healing today. Not just physical body healing, inner healing, spiritual healing, healing from the church. I needed healing from the church. I was exposed to things at a young age that I didn't know what what it really was or the maturity to, to navigate that. I needed healing. So we get to be this. So, so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus then on the arrows. But I felt like there was two weeks of foundation, the armor, and then launching arrows. So it's called armor and arrows because we can't think for a second. Nicole read the verse in John 10, 10 is what she was referencing over and over. And it was, you know, we, we can't sit here and be so naive to say, because we do. As a church, we are victorious. We have victorious mindsets. Our eschatology would be more victorious and dwelling on more of what God's doing rather than what the enemy's doing. Okay, we're not going to focus on continual deliverance and these things and focus on what the enemy's doing and who we're not. We're going to focus on who we are because God wins. But there is a reality. There is a reality, and we'd be naive to think that we're only going to focus on launching arrows when the enemy's taking fiery arrows and firing at us, our kids, our homes, our marriages, our, our economy, our work, you know, whatever, fill in that blank. So this armor of God, I feel, is fitting as we walk into battle. We're walking into a battle to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy because we have God's armor on. So that's kind of where we're we're launching today. So go with me to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. First week, I got to Ephesians 6, but we were really in Ephesians 1. And uh, so I'm just going to reread just a little bit about what we read and then launch there with the armor of God. Let me start a timer because not that we are restricted to time, we want Holy Spirit, but it prevents me useless, pointless rabbit, tra- rabbit trails that you don't need to go on with me as my mind starts to wander and think of funny things as I'm speaking. Squirrel. Okay. Or deer, yeah. Browns, buckeyes, turkeys. All right, CrossFit, coffee. I'm just listing everything I really like. <laughs> Nicole's body. No, I'm just. <laughs> I'm so sorry, babe. I can't help it. 
when you're married to a hottie with a body and you're in love 20 years later, you got to brag about it. Amen. Three years, we were getting divorced at three years. So I'm proud that I'm, I think my wife is the hottest person on the planet. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say whole armor. armor. Whose armor? God's. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, that's kind of where we, where we landed a little bit in part one, go back and listen to it, about our fight against authorities and principalities, not each other, not the church down the road, not a denomination, okay? We as a body need to stay united as a beautiful bride. I'm not going to rabbit trail that one. I already did once. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Several times here we're seeing where Paul's saying, stand firm, stand on this, stand strong, right? So we're going to move on. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or fiery arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. All right. To that end, keep alert with the perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul talking. He's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus in this radical, political, crazy climate, all right? He's been put in prison because of the things he said against authorities and principalities, okay? But yet he's still proclaiming this. Paul's got boldness. He must have been in a church somewhere, and somebody said, hey, who wants boldness? And he raised his hand and said, I'll, I'll take boldness. I feel, I told my daughter, I was like, I'll take boldness. I feel all of us to a certain degree, a level or not, like some type of level, struggle with the fear of man, struggle with pride. I was hoping every hand in the place went up and she wouldn't go back into private prayer again because I was like wanting to preach really bad. I was like, man, this is taking a long time. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, but this boldness. So Paul has this boldness. He's still speaking out, right? At the cost, knowing it may make him continue to be imprisoned. So, so here's this climate and he's writing this letter and he's encouraging them. And remember, I said last time, this letter was kind of like unlike many others. He's not as much correcting as he is praising the church of Ephesus. So if you go through chapters 1 through 6, you'll see that. And it's this embodiment going from this, this prayer at the beginning that we covered two weeks ago to then the, the, basically the, the role of the body, the spiritual empowerment, and then the success and how you walk that out. That's kind of the, the whole format of, of Ephesians here. And it's this beautiful thing. And I believe when he gets to the armor, he's tying it all in and kind of summarizing his letter. Because we get to take on the embodiment of Christ 
and all of his attributes while also being empowered to walk it out with him. Does that make sense? Let me put some different language to this. Because there's this part that's like stand firm and there's these, there's these things, right, in our, our battle. I'm going to just come from where we left off in uh, two weeks ago. I believe this. I believe that, that there's this thing to where we can stand firm because um, the armor isn't like, here's the armor, okay? If you remember back to David, David, David was offered the armor of the king, and he's like, nah, that's not my armor. I'm fighting a different battle. I need to be mobile, and I need to, to go, get the, go get Goliath. I'm going to use the weapons that I'm familiar with. I'm going to go the way that I'm used to as a shepherd boy, right? I think sometimes we want to pick up somebody else's armor, and that's not God's plan for you. I think sometimes we, we like Leif, he wrote this book, um, and this is worth reading. It's called Giant Slayers by Leif Hetland. Good book. And he talks about the points of David showing up for the battle, showing up for the right battle with the right tools and the right armor, and showing up at the right time, and speaking to the giant rather than about the giant. So there's these, all these points in this book, and I, and I see the similarity here, but we're talking about putting on the armor of God so that we can stand firm, and, and it would weigh you down a little bit. That helmet would weigh a little bit, all right? So I believe this. I believe that helps keep us anchored, and as we get into each piece of this armor, it keeps us anchored so that we could stand firm against the enemy. And, and we're not as mobile when we have it on because we don't have to be because we are part of a bigger thing than ourselves, let me just tell you this. When we all put on this armor, we're in an army of God, and God is the general and the infantry. See, sometimes we look at this, and we're like, we, we see it as this physical armor in each piece, but the reality is this was an invitation to a community of believers, community of saints, to don this entire armor on to have the attributes of the Lord and to put on the manifestations of who he is. And as we get on these things, then we're part of a bride, a larger community, bigger than ourselves, to fight these battles together, but ultimately, he's fighting it for us. We're clothing on who he is so that he fights the battles on our behalf. If you remember, he's the greatest intercessor on the planet, and he's sitting next to the Father, and he's in heaven, going before us in intercession, already fighting and winning our battles. And if you ever even knew how many battles he's won that you've never even seen. On the way here, probably seven of you were going to get in accidents, but he intervened and he, and he made you a little late because you were arguing with a kid and trying to wrestle a kid to get clothes on. We have no idea how many times he's went before us and already won a battle that we didn't even know existed. How many times he's went before us and silenced those enemies and those naysayers and those people wanting you to fail, but God. I, there was a girl that came to our church once. I, I was a heathen. I was a terrible young man. I was very hard to lead in school. I was very hard to keep in school. And then I was getting in trouble and they're suspending me. And I'm like, I didn't want to be here anyway kick me out I don't like school anyway so anyway I, I, there was this girl that came and it, it was many many years ago Nicole and I were the youth pastors and then she looks she comes up to me and she's like you're a pastor here I was like yeah I am she's like oh she's like I can't go here if a man like you is a pastor and I tried to tell her I was like if you only knew God's story in my life if you only knew the breakthrough, if you only knew the chains that fell off of me. But bless you, 
There's probably a perfect pastor down the street who's never sinned and is perfect and flawless. <laughs> Wrong. I just tell you about it. So, but, but there's this thing of like, as, as far as the armor that he, it, we're in this community and we're in this, this realm of fighting together. If you remember the movie 300, Nicole, Nick, Nick, my cousin and one of my best friends, Nick, his favorite movie, I think of all time, ever. Bring yourself to this. How many have seen 300 in here? Okay. So about 10% of you. I can't recommend it. It's gory and gruesome, and I can't publicly endorse it right now, but it is a, it is a good movie if you like gore and battles. But there's this part of the story where, where they're going to battle, and all of a sudden, they, they have all these shields, right? And we're going to get to talk about the shield in each piece of the armor. But they come together, and the enemy starts launching these arrows. Are, are you with me on that? You guys, or you can probably envision this. And all of a sudden, they come together, and all their shields are one giant shield. What, what I'm picturing in my head, maybe hundreds of shields, are this giant shield protecting each other. Now, what we don't see in the Lord's army is there is this, like, invisible bubble even before that that he's already gone ahead and he's already won the battle and then all we're doing is standing there doing our part in rest receiving his goodness receiving the blessings receiving this armor to don it so that we can fight in his battle when it's our fight to fight does that make sense there's fights that he's fighting for us that we just get to sit back and and and, and watch it like a movie like, thank you, Lord. And then there's parts in that scene that we're never going to see because they were clipped out. Yeah. They were edited. They, we don't even need to know it. But then there's that part where we just, we stand there. And then there's also the part where we then get to engage what we're called to engage in. We use language here because we heard it once. What, you're, what you could do, should do, and called to do. And sometimes the could do's and the should do's interfere with what you're called to do. And sometimes those distract us and we start fighting a battle that we could do, we should fight in, but it was never our battle to fight. Most of that's on Facebook. We're going to stop there. But most of these things are engaging in things we shouldn't even engage in because he's supposed to fight those battles to, so that we can have all the energy, all of the resources, all of the grace, and all of the empowerment to fight in the battle we're called to fight in. And let me just tell you, if you're married, that's definitely your marriage. If you're a parent, that's definitely your children. If you have grandkids, that's definitely your grandkids. Those are your primary fights. Those are your primary ministries. This is just an overflow of what should be happening in my home. So in, in that, it's your workplace where your place, those are your battles to fight. In your workplace, we are going to be held accountable to those souls around us. Are they experiencing the love of Jesus through me? Are they experiencing joy? Are they experiencing peace, overwhelming peace, because I get to walk in peace? I'm getting ahead of myself. Because they want the God that's inside of me because it's attractive because he wins. We can't be like the world or of the world. We're just in it. But God in us is greater than anybody or anything around us. And when we're walking in that full of the Spirit with the armor on, all of a sudden, like, man, not, nothing, nothing distracts that guy. He's always positive. How's he not engaging in this? Why does he walk away when we start showing each other pictures on our phones? Yeah, I got to do that. Because I'm not of it. I'm in it. Okay, let, let, me, let me move on here. Okay, put on the whole armor. All right, let me, just, let me just get to this point here, and, and I'm going to act kind of smart here, but I'm not going to just exaggerate. I, 
I had a lesson on the Bible Project on this section. Okay, anybody familiar with the Bible Project? I sometimes steal nuggets from there, and it makes me look really smart to you guys. So I encourage it as a resource for you. Okay, just don't judge me if you start hearing things that I'm preaching that I picked up on there, okay? But this part was from there. But anyway, I, I, I only had notes. I didn't, I didn't listen to this one or whatever, but I had notes, and it, and it referenced Paul actually when he's giving this letter to Ephesians, he's pulling from Isaiah, and I actually never knew this until I read it. So let me read through several verses in Isaiah and see if it sounds familiar. Because Paul, listen, you're in a messianic time. These people knew the law. They knew the word. So Paul's always connecting the law and the Old Testament to the culture and what they would be familiar with. And now he's encouraging them through what they already know. Let, let me also say this. This is pointing to two things. And what happens is he's bridging this, that the armor of God was the armor of the divine Messiah. So this armor that he's saying is literally in Isaiah pointing towards the armor literally of God. His armor, who he is, his nature, let's be more specific, his attributes. So then as he's presenting this in the letter to Ephesus, then all of a sudden he's connecting this bridge and this transitioning them saying, this is God's armor and attributes and character and nature that you get to walk in, but also you're now empowered with authority to walk it out yourselves with the spirit in you because his blood paid the price for you. So let's, let's roll through these in Isaiah. Isaiah 59, 16 through 17. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak isaiah 11 5 righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins Isaiah 49, 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me pol a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Sound familiar? Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then there's a section out of the Wisdom of Solomon. I'm going to skip it because it could get a little weird. If you're from the Catholic faith, you'd be familiar with some of this. But, but anyway, there's this picture of the summary of, of all of these gifts mentioned in basically B.C. that was written, and, and it's the portrayal of the entire armor of God pointing to Jesus, to God, to God being the Messiah, messianic realm of these things. So let, let's skip that. So then we get to this. We get, because Paul's connecting these dots. Okay, am I getting too nerdy on you here? Are we good? All right. We're, we're about to get into some nitty gritty here. It's going to be fun. So Paul, throughout his letters and throughout these realms, are encouraging the believers. He's encouraging those who are walking in times, in my opinion, worse than the culture we're walking in now. We think we have it bad, but I'm telling you, like, if you read your Bible and what they were doing, Jews against Gentiles, genocide, all of these things that were happening in the realm where Paul's glorifying God. He's bringing light to Jesus. And he's saying, you guys got this. Put on the armor of God. Fight the battles. He's already won. He, he's, he's sitting there and he's championing them and he's encouraging them and he's, and he's pushing them out into destiny, right? 
So, so we get here in Romans 13. He mentions it in 12, verses 12 through 14. He says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness. We think we're in rough times now. Paul's confronting this for a reason in Romans. Not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Some versions say, like, don't walk in sin, don't walk in immorality, but put on the armor of light, the armor of God. In, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 9, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet of hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath or sin, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the other part of this armor that we get to shed everything else we've put on and as followers of Jesus and as believers now, we get to put on the attributes and the armor of God. We are now new creatures. We are now walking in newness of life with Jesus, right? So, so let, me, let me get here. Let me paint this picture. What Paul's saying is you no longer have to walk as the old man. You now get to walk as the new creature in Christ, and you get to walk in this armor, this protection, this covering, and this empowerment for battle with the Lord. We sometimes look at this, oh, it's just time to go to battle. I'm going to put it on. No, in our everyday life, and every fiery dart that comes towards us, whether we see it or not, we get to walk as new creatures in Christ, in life, in joy, in peace, in, in righteousness, in truth, in spirit. And as we go through these, we get to walk this out as believers. This is an invitation for greatness. This is not a draining warfare. Oh, God, go to battle. Ah. I think sometimes we dwell on that so much that we lose sight that God wins. Again, he's the general and the infantry. He fights it for us. We just get to show up and see what he's going to do. Let me move on to the armor now. Okay. We have to be intentional to put on the entire armor. So in list form, it's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm just Ephesians 6. You can follow along. Shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word. Okay? But we have to be so intentional to put on every piece because they all work in conjunction with each other. Okay? We, I don't want to be lacking truth if, if, if I have salvation, right? I don't want to be lacking peace and walking in, in the gospel if I don't even have... Um, Righteousness, all, all these things, right? That's how we lead to hypocrisy. That's how we lead to not revealing the trueness and the goodness of God. Because we may walk in some and we're telling you not to mess up, to live this straight life. But then you see leaders or hypocrites or believers that aren't walking in that, even though they're portraying, and, and right? I would probably say that a good portion of your workplaces, including mine, would be saved if we had righteous people walking in the truth with the Lord and his true nature, revealing the goodness of who he really is as a good father, a friend, a savior, a healer, a deliverer, a promise keeper, right? But they're not seeing a promise keeper because many of us don't keep our promises. We have to be who we're representing. We're a representation. We're representing 
the gospel. So, so we, I'm, a, I'm a firefighter. You guys know this. I'm full-time, Troy. Part of my job is training our guys and making sure they're prepared, ready to go into any fire or any situation. That's my main focus. And before we enter a fire, we do a buddy check. We train on this. You do a buddy check before you enter that house. We're doing interior firefighting. We're going into a building that everybody else is running out of. Talk about boldness and courage, and, and, and these guys are a little weird. They're a little messed up. Okay? They got a little wire, different than most people. They're usually a little atypical. They're usually type A personalities. They bicker a lot. They complain a lot. They're the biggest critics you'll ever meet, but they are running into situations that you're panicking from and running out of. So we have this gear all right, we, we have every piece. And what we do is the only skin that's allowed to be showing are our eyes. We have, we have hoods. We have, obviously, trousers, pants, jacket. We have gloves. We have a hood. We have a mask. We have an air tank, a helmet, okay? We, and, and every bit of our skin. And our buddy check is making sure everything's Velcroed, snapped, buttoned, and there is no skin showing outside of our eyes, which is covered with glass, which is our first fail point at 400 degrees, so, but if I go in and I have everything but my gloves, do you know where most of your nerves and your pain sensors are? Your hands. And if I go into that fire and I've, I'm breathing fresh air, I'm good, I'm covered, I'm protected, all my vitals are protected, but then my hands get hot, what do you think's gonna happen? I'm going to panic and I'm gonna try to run out of there, I'm gonna ditch my partner, something bad is gonna happen. I, the point is this. We don't go in unprepared, and we don't go in without any piece of that armor. We, it protects us. We, we respect it. We put it in bags. We, we, we wash it. We make sure it's clean. We make sure it's preserved so that every piece of that equipment will protect us when it gets hot, when it fills up. Let me just tell you this. The movies have been lying to you all these years. If you don't know this, you cannot see your hand in front of your face in a real fire. We go by touch and sound. We, we run our hands down the wall and we go on what we call a search pattern, right or left-handed, and we go around this building, we try to look for things based on touch and sound. We'll hear fire and then all of a sudden there'll be a glow above us. We're like, oh, there it is. Slay the dragon. That's what we call the dragon. But anyway, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. I remember the first fire I was ever in and I thought it fogged up. I was like, what's going on? And it was just smoke you cannot see. For a while, it banks down. Then as we start to disturb that and things happen, all, the whole place is full of smoke. Then you got flashlights on, and they're kind of honestly work. You ever put your brights on in the fog? You can't see anything? So sometimes that's happening. The point is this. We have to rely on that equipment to keep us safe. And if we don't don it and we don't do it properly and we got skin showing, the littlest breach of that equipment will throw us off task. Relate that to the armor of God. The littlest thing will take you off task. It says put on the whole armor of God, then you can stand firm. So let's go through each piece here. The belt of truth. It starts with the belt, and it holds everything together. Many times in that culture, they wore, the men wore long robes and such. So they would actually have to tuck those in and put the belt around them. Now, there's a lot of symbolism around this in the purity of the belt of truth. Because let me just tell you this. Culture... And we talked about the, um, the sex revolution is lying to you. But the belt of truth tells you the truth of what sex was for and for the sanctity of marriage, for the union of marriage, for it to be a tool and a pleasurable thing to bring a couple together in oneness in him. 
So this belt of truth that covers so much truth and these impurities and, and the lies that we start to believe oftentimes are on identity and sexual exploitation. Let me move on for the sake of kids being in the room. Breastplate of righteousness. This is good. It's also a two-part. It's the righteousness that Christ gives, but also the righteousness he empowers us to walk out. And it's interesting that it's covering our heart. Because the heart is kind of the epicenter, and it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's where both begin to come together. The heart is the place of righteousness, and it's the place of God's righteousness and, and our own. See, God protects our hearts of righteousness so that the heart doesn't stay wounded from sin and impurities throughout our life. Righteousness isn't just right standing with God. It is. It is. It is right standing with God. It's, it's living right with the Lord. But righteousness is also this gift to remove the wounds, the tears, and, and that, that bloodshed that his blood paid for. See, sin will take us off track. Sin will, will damage us. It will wound us. It will, it will put fear in us. It will put shame on us. It will do all these things, right? But when righteousness comes in, it comes in like a flood, and it's this flood of forgiveness that his righteousness comes in, and it actually heals the wounds that the sin caused. That's in the heart. Moving on. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Okay? The shoes are meant to go. Our, 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 our mission here, worship, grow, go. Shoes. If we have shoes on, we're going somewhere. You weren't just like, we stand firm in the battle against principalities and authorities, but then there's also battles we go in, that we engage in. It's the thing I, I just covered. But see, there's this thing that, let me, let me just go here. Peace is the attribute of the very nature of God. Okay? God is peace. The shalom peace of heaven. God is peace. So in Greek, peace means oneness or wholeness. All right, and then we have the gospel, which means good news, and it's the forgiveness of sins accessing us, giving us granted access to oneness. Are, are you with me? So as peace and the gospel come together, it's actually wholeness and oneness as one. The good news is that Jesus is all of these things. Let, let, let me move on. All right. Yeah, I want to add this. Just salt my note. Shoes of the gospel of peace keep us anchored. The shoes is what keep us anchored to stand firm. You see, oftentimes as we're walking through life, we get battered up, we get torn, we get, we get wounded. There's fear that settles in. There's anxiety that settles in. There's worry that settles in. There's all these things. And that's really the test where this came from for us is we realize, I personally realized I was not trusting God in the processes. I was not trusting God with my kids going into the schools or trusting my kids into their athletics or trusting my kids to drive down country roads. That's one of the scariest things you'll ever do. You guys who've been there, you know it. Watching your kid drive away for the first time in a car. Like, whew. Especially recalling the first 30 hours I spent driving with that kid and how many stop signs they ran. And then you're like, you know who I'm talking about. I only have one old enough to drive. <laughs> like, Chloe, you can't do that. Nothing happened. <sighs> Next time it might. Anyway, the gospel and the peace is the antidote. Peace is the antidote for all of this. Peace is the antidote for fear. Peace is the antidote. It is the very answer to anxiety, to, to worry, to all these concerns. So when we get to walk in the gospel of the good news and walk in peace, 
All the worry and the fear and the anxiety and the anxiousness and the unsettledness and the trust issues are gone because we have the peace of God. Let, let me finish this up. It's going to get good. Helmet of salvation. Salvation comes from the moment your heart and your head collide and you believe and you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and you believe that he covered your sin through the death, burial, and resurrection. But the battlefield, the biggest battlefield we'll face is in our mind. But in Christ, as a new creature, as we don on all of this with the Lord, all of a sudden we have the mind of Christ, it says in the word. And we're transformed by the renewing of our what? Mind. So the, the helmet, you know, this is, this is awesome because it's the helmet of salvation, believing Jesus is who he says he is. It's belief. It's belief that Jesus is who he says he is. Like, like salvation in many contexts, salvation is bigger and it's deeper than just the heaven ticket for eternity to spend, heaven, to spend eternity in heaven. It's also oftentimes referred to as sozo. If you look in front of you, there's pamphlets. We have a sozo ministry here. All right, that is in the Greek translation of salvation in many contexts in the New Testament is saved, healed, and delivered. So when we see salvation, it's a holistic, bigger picture than just my heaven ticket. It's part of that John 10, 10 that says Jesus came to give life and what? Life more abundantly back to the wholeness and the oneness that we get to walk out in wholeness, not just one day, one glorious day, we're gonna spend it in heaven. No, we get to walk heaven on earth. That's an invitation. Jesus didn't just die on a cross so one day you could get to heaven. He also died on the cross that heaven could get into us. Now, last thing, sword of the spirit, the word of God. It's the only piece of the armor that's both offensive and defensive, all right? And it's, it's his word that cuts through everything. When we are tempted, the best tool that we have is the word of God. Band, you can come. Let, let, me, let me get here for a second here. Let me build, build this up. Um, I'm closing. It's my first closing. Um, the word of God, it, it, is, it is the offensive tool of the armor. The word of God is what sets us free. It's what keeps us accountable. It is the guide. It's the compass. It's the map. It's the life of Jesus. Okay? And the word of God, it, it, it cuts and it, and it defends. It fights off as well as cuts through lies. It cuts through culture. It cuts through time. It cuts through everything that we're facing. And I think sometimes we, we diminish it in such a way that we don't use it as the tool that it is as a sword. Okay, let, let, me, let me just give you a real life example. Is it okay if we stay on the firefighting theme? Good, because I'm going to. A few years ago, I don't know what year, it was, it was the night before Mother's Day, and I was filling in for a guy so that he could go on a cruise, and we didn't have enough staffing. I was in administration. And I was like, you know, I'll fill in for you. I'll, 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 I got your back. Go on your cruise that you booked a year ago. I'll, I'll fill in. And I was so excited. We had left one of our cousin's graduation parties. I had leftover graduation cake, lunch meat, all this stuff. I get there. I'm working with a guy I hadn't worked with in years who got my brother, who got me into firefighting. He used to take me boating as a kid. I'd worked for him as a lawn care company. And I was so excited. I get to work with Kurt today. 
I get there, he's got a movie picked out, he's got steaks on the grill. I was like, doesn't get any better than this as a fireman. We're eating steaks, leftover graduation cake, we got a movie to watch. So we, we finish all that and just fun to be with the crews at times when you're kind of away from that. And around midnight, a call comes in and I've only shared this story publicly maybe two or three times. And uh, a call comes in at an apartment complex with kids trapped. I remember driving that fire truck. I remember going over the interstate. I remember every road I turned on. I can visually see the smoke on the road that we turned on where the fire was. I get there, it's me and one other guy. And the cops are on the front lawn wrestling the dad to the ground who's trying to go into that house where you see fire coming from the back, you see smoke filling the air. And they ask me, another cop comes up, what do, you, what do you need? I said, put a ladder in that window. The report was the kids were in the second story in the bedrooms. There was two kids trapped. We get there, it's confirmed there, there are kids trapped. Later to realize it was actually just one because one was staying with grandma and grandpa, they didn't know that. But there still was a kid trapped. And I remember we pulled the line, I can hear sirens in the distance coming, we were the closest station. And I, and I get there, and I'll, I'll give an abbreviated version of this. We, we push through the front door. We try to get in. They had furniture stacked all on the front door because they only used their back door. Typical townhouse. You walk in, there's the living room, little bathroom, kitchen, two bedrooms, and a bathroom upstairs. And, and I get there, and they had furniture stacked. We didn't know what it was at the moment, but it ended up being furniture stacked. They had bought new furniture, and they were going to sell it on Craigslist. We couldn't get through, couldn't get through, couldn't get through. Finally, I'm able to push enough. And then by this time, our crews are coming, somebody's running our pump, and me and Kurt, we're going in. And we get in far enough to where the heat is just pushing us down. My gear ripped in two places. Um, I can't see anything. I'm trying to sort through the furniture and where it is. And then there's so much fire, Kurt pulls me out. I get pulled out. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try again. So I come outside. I go up through the ladder that the cops have put at the window. I dive in that window. I'm searching the bed, and it is so hot that then my face piece started to melt. So the baby's not in there. I did a quick search, came back out, and then at that moment, they ruled it a defensive fire, which for us, that means we're no longer sending crews in there. At this point, there's no longer salvageable life to risk our life for somebody else because it was too far gone, and now it's a risk. And I, I stood at that door, still with my mask on. Couldn't see anything because it was all blacked over and melted. And I remember being so mad, so frustrated. I remember thinking, I sh we should have found that kid. Where's that kid at? Still didn't know. And then something just came over me and I just knelt down. By that time, I think Covington came up and they were helping me on a line and we're just spraying water into the doorway of the little crack that I created. And I remember thinking, God, I don't, I remember saying this vividly. I don't understand this, but you're good. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening, but I know you're good, knowing there's a baby in there. It messed me up. I ended up helping do the body recovery. That week, my brother pulled me out. He's like, you've seen enough. Why don't you go home? It was Mother's Day morning, and um, we had a baby the same age. 
Hadassah. So I guess it was about seven years ago, six years ago. So I remember being on the interstate thinking, I don't want to go home. I just want to drive. Nicole at the time was eating gluten because she was saved and delivered. So I was going to Jim's Donuts to get her her favorite donut for Mother's Day. And I remember thinking about passing that exit and for whatever reason, I want to just go to Atlanta and see Laban Jennifer. But I didn't. Got off, got our donut, went home. I got in the house, Nicole's feeding our baby. I just kind of collapsed in her arms and began to weep for the first time. And uh, that week, I had to end up helping with the investigation because there were some newer investigators. And um, I, was, I was the head investigator of that, of that division. I had to watch this kid on a, on, a, on a tricycle and playing outside and hours before and all that stuff. And I had night terrors. I'm supposed to preach the following Sunday, a week later. Nicole was preaching that morning because it was Mother's Day. I come to church Sunday. I was numb. I had night terrors all week. I couldn't sleep. I told Josh, and our, we had a small group at that time. I told him, I, I'm not doing well. I need help. So I came into church, still did not have a clue what I was going to preach. I couldn't feel God. He wasn't answering me. He wasn't providing me peace. I couldn't. There was nothing. And I get into my office. Worship's going on. I still have no clue what I'm going to preach. I was like, God, you got to show up. I don't know. And I get in my office, and I find this Bible, this specific, this Bible right here. And I just opened it, and I opened to Matthew 4. I'm going to read that with you. Sorry, guys, I didn't give you this one today. Matthew 4. Now, where I'm coming from is the sword of spirit, the word of God, the truth. The truth. The word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written. This is Jesus. Now the enemy is tempting him three times here. The first time Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's quoting the word of God to him. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, that throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's quoting the word. The enemy's tempting his identity. He's tempting him in the truth. He's tempting him in lies. He's luring him in. And the third time it says, Against, Again the devil took him up on the, an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. And then it says this, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here, here's the connection, and here's the point. 
Jesus was tempted in the best way through temptation and the best way to confront the enemy and his lies and tactics is the word of God. It cuts sharper than a sword. It, it cuts right through it. So that morning when the Lord brought me to this, it, I, I envisioned and I remembered, I did not remember what happened at that fire until that moment a week later. And I remembered, and he, and he took me in this almost outer body experience watching myself at that fire, kneeling down at the door, praising God no matter what was going on. And declaring, God, I don't understand this, but you're good. I don't understand this, but Lord, you're, you're worthy. I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know where that kid is. I don't know the outcome. I don't know all the details, but I know you're good. And I just began to, I remember crying in my mask just a little bit and worshiping God and just, just declaring that he was good because that's all I knew to do. That's the one thing the word gives you. When you don't know how else to fight a battle, when you don't know what else is going on, when you don't know what else the lies or the tactics of the enemy, you know the truth and the truth is God is good. You know the word of God, and he is who he says he is. Will you stand with me? I'm going to offer a time to trade out some armor. I had donned God's armor enough at that point in my walk with the Lord that I knew no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter the tactic or distraction from the enemy, that God was good. Let, let, me, let me bring you back to the garden. When sin came in, Adam and Eve are sitting there naked, okay? They're, they're, they're realming the garden of paradise, the, the, the gift that the Lord had given them. And, and let, me, let me just finish with my last closing, I promise. All of a sudden, sin came in, distraction, all these things, unrighteousness, impurities, the things that this protects us from came in. And what did they do immediately after? They clothed themselves. They hid Right? They blamed each other, and then they clothed themselves with fig leaves. God never meant for you to cover yourself up. He wanted to cover you with his armor. So many of us, we've walked through sin, we've walked through mistakes, we've walked through life. Some of you, sin has happened to you, and you've put on shame and covered yourself with something that didn't ever even belong to you. That's what shame will do. Shame continues to remind us of who we're not when God's constantly sitting there, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are a beloved son. You are a daughter. You're a believer. You're more than a conqueror. If you look through all the battles in the word, he's saying, hey, I'm going before you. I've already won this battle. Matter of fact, he says, just be still and listen, and I've already won the battle. No weapon against, will be formed against you will prosper, right? You have all this in the word, but what do we do in life and, and through trials and circumstances and even us, fears and worries, we begin to cover ourselves with things that weren't of God anyway sin we begin to cover ourselves with the fig leaves of culture and the world or whatever and i've been literally so far in sin why bother now because god hates me because i'm too far gone because shame started to convince me of who i wasn't when god all along was telling me who i was let me just tell you this i believe today he wants to trade out the fig leaves of the world the fig leaves of sin the fig leaves of shame the fig leaves of fear the fig leaves of, of addiction the fig leaves of, of all this stuff and put on the armor of god and clothe you with his righteousness his goodness his love his power and then you can sit in any moment in any trial and any loss and any trauma you can say god i don't understand this but you're good, but you're good. I wanna give you that opportunity. We're gonna ask our prayer team to come right now. I'm fully believing this altar to be flooded. 
because I think all of us, including me, have put on things and we've started to believe lies of who we're not. We've started to believe lies of what the enemies tried to tempt us with or, or, or say who we're not, but all along, God has said who we are. We begin to believe these identity things and these things that you're not good enough or you're not pretty enough or you're not smart enough or you're not good enough for that sport or that you don't belong in that family, that you shouldn't have been born, that you were an accident or a mistake or whatever it could be. My childhood and my adolescence, people, the system was trying to convince me I was a criminal and that I was a number. When all along, Jesus called me by name, numbered the hairs on my head before I was ever born. You know how siblings are, we joke around and we say things. I had really awesome siblings, still do. I still have awesome siblings. But they would, I'm, I'm so many years later, they would tease me saying I was a mistake, I was the accident, you know, I, I was the oops baby. And, and it, it didn't like take deep hurt or anything. I, I didn't need severe deliverance in that. But what I'm saying is I started to think, like it started to take some seed and root in my heart that I wasn't planned and I wasn't wanted. But then God reminded me, no, he doesn't make mistakes. Even if it was a fun night with my mom and dad, I wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. I was planned from the creation of earth from the creation of human beings, from the moment God created heavens and the earth, in the first six days, I was created and so were you. You were created to walk in the armor of God. You were created to walk in his goodness. I don't care what lies you've been leaving. I don't care what depression you've been going through. I don't care what you've put on yourself. God did not put that on you. You are not supposed to wear that home today. You're not supposed to wear that out of here. You're supposed to trade up those, those fig leaves. They're cheap anyway. They eventually wilt and turn brown. You ever tried to wipe with toilet paper in the woods with leaves? It doesn't work very well. God's got an upgrade for you. He's got a big upgrade. He wants to give you armor. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want you to come up and I, symbolically, whatever, maybe have, they're going to spread out, pray for you. Maybe just, maybe you're just putting something down at the feet of the cross. Maybe, maybe it's just, you're just going to come up here and God, uh, maybe lift up your fig leaf and he'll download the armor of God to you, whatever your mind's eye but I believe there's something special up here it can happen back there too he's the same everywhere but I just feel this symbolic thing of trading up the fig leaves and the crap that you've put on yourself for the goodness of him so let me just start with prayer and it's open at this point Jesus we thank you for the armor we thank you that we can stand firm and be steadfast in your armor standing and crushing Satan under our feet crushing the lies of the enemy, crushing fear and anxiety and, and, and different things, God. And Lord, we trade up the fig leaves, the shame, the guilt, the sin that we've put on, the things that we've covered up with, the things that others have put on us, the lies, the naysayers. Lord, anything that's affecting our walk with you and our empowerment to be full of you, Jesus, we trade it up for your full armor. We declare you're good. It's open. You can come if you like. Bless you guys.